Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Plotlines. I'm your host, Connor. And before we get to the episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Please comment below to help with the algorithm. And if you're interested in joining a community we're growing, please join our Discord. The link will be below. Uh, today, we have uh, as the special guest, Charles Coulomb, back with us again. Uh, right after uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Wow. And let me repeat, wow. Moreover, I'll tell you something else. Normally, I'd be doing my own podcast right at this time, but it's been delayed until tomorrow night. So you're going to get, for what it's worth, my first public pronouncement. Oh, boy, isn't that exciting? I can barely oh, stand. Oh, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. Word from our affiliate, Bishop Sheen Rosaries. You've probably worn through the chain of your cheap plastic rosary. Other rosaries simply can't stand up to the wear and tear of everyday life. Bishop Sheen rosaries are made of solid metal beads and paracord to withstand any condition and are backed with a lifetime warranty. Upgrade your rosary to a Bishop Sheen rosary made to fit your lifestyle or buy one for a friend. Each rosary sold supplies two weeks of food for a school kid in Uganda you use the exclusive link down below to help support our efforts here at Plotlines. The link will take you to sheenrosaries.com. Be sure to use the code PLOTLINES10. Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, ladies and gentlemen, wonderful city, pulled itself up by its own bootstraps. There was a city that was in such bad shape, its river caught on fire. <laughs> True story. I thought, that was, I thought Chicago did that too. Well, yeah, but in Chicago, somebody was paid to do it. <laughs> everyone's paid to burn something in chicago everyone's always on the take in chicago it's that toddling town we gotta love it i know i yep. do i love <laughs> chicago i do i really only do. if you're on the take charles were I, you on the take no no, no you know the immortal words of john waters i'd have sold out years ago if i could only have found somebody willing to buy but <laughs> what yeah, i'm not it's Nobody disappointing wants. <laughs> yeah no seriously well, all right. We we do have to speak about something which I never thought I would live to see. Yeah. And it, uh, uh hmm? Roe is gone. Yeah, and I you know, I was around when it came in. Uh I remember being horrified, outraged, and disgusted by the scumbags that owned my country. I mean that in a nice way, in a non judgmental manner. Of course, of course. Uh, as a Californian, I'm incapable of being other than non judgmental. You might say that we Californians have put the mental into judgmental. But, no, I, I mean, honestly, uh, I never thought I would see this day, and I certainly did not think it would come about uh, with the judges that Mr. Trump appointed. So, you know, I, I promised that if he did bring about the end of Roe v. Wade, I'd vote for it. So. Yeah. I don't like the guy. I didn't like him then. I don't like him now. But if he runs again, I'm stuck with my promise. And he did it while not being in office. He did it while not being in office, which is true, according to the uh, Democratic House of Representatives. It's true of a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's, you know, uh, he's very he's, excited. Over he's the, very powerful he's, when he's not in office. Yeah, it's it's, it's very peculiar. Um, I don't know. He, uh, he obviously caused Putin to invade uh, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's another thing I never thought would happen. So you see, this has been a year of surprises. Yeah. Uh, Pope Francis says that God is a God of surprises. And uh, <laughs> it's not always uh, what he felt leave out is surprises are not always pleasant. Sometimes they are. Uh, Pope Francis must be surprised with the surprises of, of the God of surprises. Uh, yes, indeed he is. Indeed he is. Uh, and he has every reason to be. But uh where was i oh my mind is gone uh roe v wade well yeah so the thing is that uh it happened and not only did it happen it happened on a very strange and peculiar day it happened on a day that was at once uh the feast of uh sir john the baptist who um uh, is the patron saint of my people the french canadians as well as the uh, first, uh, uh, the first person to uh, recognize uh, Jesus's humanity in uh, in the womb. 
precisely. So you might say that in a certain sense, St. John the Baptist has always been a bit of a spokesman. Uh, well, in the womb himself, he was the well, spokesperson. <laughs> a spokesman for the unborn as well as our Lord. So, yeah. uh, so that's part of it. But the other part of it is it was also, and it's a rare occurrence, it was also the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Uh, a feast consecrated to Christ's love of all of us. And, uh, and well, it's an amazing confluence. And I think that from now on, June 24th, uh, June 24th should be the a holiday of some sort in the United States. The day when Roe v. Wade came to an end. But yeah. of course, we've got to be specific about a few a few things regarding Roe v. Wade. Now, I have no doubt that over the uh, next uh, months, especially during the long, hot summer when people love burning things, uh, not having much <laughs> else to do with themselves. I wish um, they would just focus on fireworks. Well, they're always setting fire to themselves in protests, which I wouldn't <laughs> mind. Uh, no, I'm, Nancy Pelosi could do it, and I'd try to put it out if I had any water. Uh, <laughs> But well, no, she, but she's a witch, so she'll just melt. That's true. Well, that's only if she gets water on her, not fire. So. No, I know. But if you had a bucket to put out, oh, no, I, I see what you're saying. Well, that's true. Then, then she'd be in a bad way. Yeah, it's but as, over. Uh, as Don McLean put it, uh, "Fire is the devil's only friend," uh, and I'm sure Nancy Pelosi would get along with it. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, what was I? What was I saying? Yes. Well. So the thing is, we have to bear in mind a few things. Despite the fact that abortion has been painted as a Catholic issue, despite the fact that leading American lay Catholics like our glorious, if uh, not really in touch, president and uh, Nancy Pelosi, that epitome of masculinity in the 21st century, um, the nominal Catholics like that being in charge, uh, it is, I think, the church that will receive the brunt of the hatred that will come out of this. Now, that's really entirely unfair. Why do I say that? Because the truth is that for the most part, since Roe v. Wade, the church hierarchy uh, has done very little as a whole. There have Italy. been a few honorable exceptions to do anything about abortion, except to say, tis, tis, dear, dear. <laughs> Yeah, and it's quite the, ironic. No, and behind the behind the seamless garment, they were able to hide from doing anything. So uh, I do think it's kind of unfair that we shall doubtless see more churches attacked and so forth, as in Canada with the, uh, as it turned out, non-existent uh, Indian graves that nevertheless got uh, Premier Justine Trudeau Just uh, Mademoiselle Trudeau, the, <laughs> the leader of all she surveys. Um, what, a, what a bunch of woolly-headed morons we have running the show everywhere. It's amazing. Yeah, but, but the Supreme rate, Court is surprisingly... Uh, or, I am make... shocked. Yeah. Shocked out of my wits. But now let's look at that for a moment. Because Clarence Thomas thing. for King of the United States. Well, I'd, I'd be happy, uh, you know, with, with him... Uh, Carl Sarah for Cardinal Sarah for Pope and uh, uh, Mr. Justice Thomas for President. Uh, that's not the kind king? of black power I can get behind. Not king. You. Yep. Wait, I, not king. You said president. Oh no, not king. Why not, not? king? Why he wouldn't take it? Aw, yeah, that's the hell of a job. <sighs> but the uh, the fact is that uh, you know. As I say, that's a black power I can get behind. But that's precisely the kind of black whom the establishment expect, expect to play little Sambo. Yeah. But perhaps that time is coming to an end. Anyhow, the thing we have to examine, though, is what, what the end of Roe v. Wade really means. Now, contrary to the excitement both for and against what's happened, all that's happened is this. Roe v. Wade itself was a very specious bit of legal argument. Uh, it basically found in the Constitution a quote-unquote right to privacy that had never been found there before. Uh, in, in, in other words, it was made up by the uh, justices, the majority of the justices of that time. But it was very poorly reasoned legally. 
very poorly reasoned constitutionally. And that is the reason it was blown out. It was not blown out for moral grounds. It was blown out purely and simply because it was bad law. Yeah. It was, it was a bad ruling. Uh, and when I hear people going on about, oh, they're taking away the right to abortion, that's very much like saying that uh, Brown versus the Board of Education took away segregation rights, which you can argue if you want. I, I don't care. You can do what you like. It's a free country. Um, but More Plessy free versus, now. Plessy versus Ferguson uh, was the, uh, the law that gave us, was the ruling that gave us separate but equal. Um, it was decided in 1954 by the Supreme Court that their predecessors had ruled badly. The same thing has happened here. So where does that really put us? Well, it depends on where you live, of course, because having removed it from the all-encompassing heavenly domain of the Chief Justice and, the, and his minions, uh, it's reduced back to the states, the 50 supposedly sovereign states. About half of them have restrictions to a greater or lesser degree on abortion. The other half do not. So basically, once again, it's thrown into the hands of the people and politicians of the 50 sovereign states. If you like, it's a victory for subsidiarity, if nothing else. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means if you live in a state uh, which now, where abortion is now once again illegal to a greater or lesser degree, uh, then it's up to you to try to defend that or to attack it. Contrarywise, if you live in a state where it's legal, then it's up to you to try to defend it or attack it through political means. But I realize that the left will want to do other, other amazing, amusing things as they've shown themselves capable of. And what I'm afraid of, as I was in June of last year, or two years ago, thankfully the violence subsided. But if it starts again, and if it continues, it will eventually be met in kind. Um, and I fear that those who meet it in kind will be much more effective at it than those who start it. Yeah. And that the other thing we see, again, are two blocks of states whose majorities, apparently, and I say apparently because in a political system such as ours, the majority counts for only so much. <laughs> but yeah. uh, apparently, they live in two different worlds, uh, <clears throat> primarily the far east and far west versus the and the Northeast versus the South and the Midwest. I, uh, oddly enough, for the most part, uh, the states that are in favor of abortion are the ones that are rotting. The ones that oppose it are either growing or at the very least standing still. So you have a, a strange paradox. The areas that consider themselves the most modern are the ones whose economic base is constantly being eroded by its leadership. I think of California and New York as good examples. Yeah. Your two homes. Yeah, my two homes. You know, I, uh, God knows I'm proud of both of them, but not proud of their leadership. And of course, to be fair, in both of those states, once you get out of the big cities, well, both of those states are divided the way the country as a whole is divided. If you want to see the real division of the country, you have to look at the uh, counties. Ward, not even counties, at the ward votes. Uh, they have maps of this sort in uh, 2016 and 2020. And that'll give you a clearer idea of the two countries that co-inhabit the same place. Now, what is the answer? To this terrible division and it is a terrible division because the two sides simply do not live in the same world there was a time and i'm old enough to remember it when people could have differing views on these issues and still get along 
but for many people, especially on the other side, but far from wholly, um, anyone who disagrees with them in these areas is immediately a demon. You can't run a country that way. Nope. You can't run a state that way. You can't run a county that way or a city or a community. You can't run a local committee that way. It just... You can if people are willing to cooperate in areas that are not touched by these things. And honestly speaking, there's a lot of that. But people enjoy feeling feel outrage. You know, it gets the adrenaline going. And one of the things that the COVID era brought home to everyone, whether they are willing to accept it or not, is how little any of us as individuals really count in terms of our uh, rulership. Now, for a lot of uh, cultures and people and places in this old world of ours, that wouldn't be that much of a problem. We Americans have been uh, spoon-fed since infancy. The idea that the opinion of each of us matters. <laughs> well, the laughter of the elves. Um, it doesn't really. No. I mean, Roe v. Wade at the end of the day was indeed not down because the evil orange man appointed three of the justices. He didn't? It's not? Yeah. It's what happened. Look at the draw. Uh, adult grown-ups would say, okay, well, we had our fun for years and years and years. Um, we better work hard to get our man elected. But to get him elected, obviously, he's got to have something to deliver other than not being the orange man. Uh, civility by itself is not really something to stand on. But I'll say something else, and that is this coming uh, November will in a lot of ways be a, uh, it'll be a referendum partly on uh, President Hindenburg's uh, two years in office, uh, partly on Nancy Pelosi's uh, managing of the House, and partly on, on the abortion issue. Does she have a char- uh, uh, historical figure to compare to? Yeah, Madame Defarge in the uh, in a tale of two cities, uh, or Rocky the Lady Wrestler. Anyway, the uh, this is another image of my far off youth. But well, uh, wait, well speaking of your youth, fi- finish and then we can get to your youth. I had one once, you know, a long time ago. I know. I'm, I'm People interested. don't believe it. People don't believe it. They think, look at all that white hair. The guy, the guy was born old. I know. I mean, you have an old soul, so it, it uh, makes sense. Indeed, indeed. If uh, uh, you know, I'm glad I don't believe in reincarnation. <laughs> uh, as my late father said when, when asked about a, uh, an adherent of reincarnation, what he wanted to come back as, his response was, come back. Why would I want to do wait, that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let, let, let me get this straight. After the years of misery I've seen, the (laughs) Depression, World War II, uh, all the garbage I've gone through, you expect me to come back again? Hell no. Once is enough. I'm done. I've had it. Reasons reasons not to be Hindu. No, 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 no. He he had no desire to come back. uh, I'm I'm very confident he didn't. So (laughs) the... uh, You are? Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I've got every confidence that uh, my father is not at this state in time uh, living as a small Indian child in Hyderabad. Uh, Or do I think he's the latest incarnation of the Panchen Lama? But no, uh, honestly, though, we have to get ready for very, very unpleasant times, very difficult times. The first thing to do is to keep your prayer life in order and to stay sane and to keep your sense of humor and, to, and your humanity. You see, you've got to remember that the devil is always out to tempt us. And there are two things he wants us to do. He wants us to hate and he wants us to despair. Uh, now, when I say he wants us to hate, obviously, 
let's put it this way. What the devil wants is for us to hate the sinner and love the sin, which is just the opposite, of course, of what we should do. Similarly, we always have to be sure that we're fighting for God and not for ourselves. The holiest and noblest cause could be ruined by turning it into me. And if you don't believe me, I can point out several of the crusades that went wrong and various other marvelous things that were utterly corrupted simply by the greed and self-interest of those involved. I mean, St. Thomas tells us, and you don't hear me quoting him all the time, but I, you know, he wasn't stupid by any stretch. St. Thomas was of the opinion that while objectively heresy is worse than schism, subjectively, schism is worse. The reason for that's kind of obvious. Uh, well, it's a question of heresy. Both the orthodox and the heretic believe that they're standing up for truth. In schism, usually either of both sides are out for number one. And that's why schisms are so nasty. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking right now, not simply of our schism with the East, the schism between Constantinople and Moscow. And the cream of the chest of that one is that because of the invasion of Ukraine, the Russian Orthodox Church in Ukraine, whose dominance over whom was the cause of the schism between uh, Constantinople and Moscow, has severed itself from Moscow. Yeah. Wow. Where, where does that put them? They're not in union with Moscow. They're not in union with Constantinople. They're not in union with the autocephalous Ukrainian patriarchate or the autonomous Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And they're certainly not in communion with Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I, I mean, it, it, this is the kind of thing that makes you tear your hair out. They're in union with themselves. Well, isn't everybody? <laughs> well, some people aren't in union with themselves. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, there's always schizophrenia is 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 always fun. As oh, yeah. uh, Stan um, Laurel was wont to say, roses are red, violets are blue. I'm schizophrenic and so am I. <laughs> uh, I can I can only say that uh, it's it's a mess. But we always have to remember that no matter what historic events we're faced with. The Mass, the Rosary, the Sacred and Immaculate Hearts, the Sacraments, that is where it's at. Everything else is important, but what's really important about them is our reaction to them. Yeah. Does, it, does our reaction make us more or less human, more or less loving, more or less attuned to God's law and God's will. We shall see. Well, then that's true of all of us. That's yeah. a particular judgment when we snuff it and the general judgment at the end when we're going to see how everything fit together in this wonderful tapestry we call life. Yeah. How Where, God writes uh, straight and crooked lines. Exactly right. We shall learn precisely why Gollum was allowed to survive. <laughs> which was of course to save the quest yes people but, forget it was Gollum that accomplished the quest do you think we'll him. learn more about Lord of the Rings in the yeah, if, no, it's, if it's necessary and if it's important I'm sure we will I feel like God will be like yeah it's important you need to know everything that Tolkien would have uh, written would have put down it had he written it down it's yeah. really important you know the stuff so here it is and Tolkien himself will explain it all to you. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I, you know, again, one of the things I, one of the many, many reasons I want to save my soul is to have all my questions answered. Yeah. I mean, from, from the most minor things to the big ones. Okay. So, well, let's go back in time a little bit, though, uh, for now, so we can look back at your past oh boy this is my life well yeah this is your life charles coulomb the star well as i say i was born in an early age 
Uh, <laughs> I don't recall it. My parents assure me that it happened. I have no reason <laughs> to think they were lying. Uh, I was born in the city of New York, uh, Doctor's Hospital on Manhattan Island, when uh, on the 8th of November, on the day John F. Kennedy was elected president. I've always thought, as not always, but since I began thinking about these things when I was, I don't know, 11 or 10 or 12, something like that, I've always thought that um, that there was a particular reason to be born on that day. I'm not talking about astrology or anything like that. But the day I was born was the apogee of the kind of sellout Catholicism that put us in, a, in the United States, where we are, because consciously or unconsciously, America's Catholics from the beginning of the Republic to John Carroll had made a sort of deal, again, consciously or unconsciously, that we wouldn't push, we wouldn't really try to evangelize in return for respectability and a quote-unquote place at the table which was consummated with the election of John F. Kennedy. From that apogee, it has been downhill ever since, in a uh, relatively yes. straight line. <laughs> and I, uh, watching that has been a big leitmotif of my life. I was born into a world that looks a lot like Mad Men. Um, and that, those are my earliest memories are people looking like that. When did you come to realize that things were going downhill? Like, like, was it ever, how early of an age were you aware of sort of decline? California, when we moved to California. I mean, <laughs> well, no, and it isn't, you see, here's the funny thing about that. We moved to California in 66. Um, had we stayed in New York, we would have seen what we saw in California. But because we didn't, in my little mind, it was associated with the move. Because you've got to understand, I never went back to New York uh, from the time we left until oh, the 70s. So late 70s. Yeah. So that was, you know, a good 12 years. And in that time, uh, 66 to 78, 77, something like that. Uh, in that time, everything changed. Uh, and as I said, I would have seen it there too, but I didn't. So one thing you'll find as you get older is that what you don't know has specifically changed you will imagine has not changed. You don't think about it, you know. You yeah. don't sit around saying, gee, I wonder if uh, Drucker's store is still open. You kind of presume it is. And then you go back to Hooterville and you find Drucker's store is closed. And of course, if you were to sit down and think about it, well, Drucker was an old man when you were living there. <laughs> yeah. So the likelihood that he still, would still be there 30 years later is kind of small. If it's still called Drucker's Store, and if it's run by his son or grandson, that, that itself is a minor miracle. Sounds unlikely. Yeah, it might. Sometimes it happens, but it's unlikely. Uh, if you go to a, an old restaurant you used to frequent, if it's still there, probably it's under completely new management. If you're lucky, it's under the son or grandson or great-grandson. But That's not but how that, it used to be, though. No. Uh, this sort of change, I mean, there's always a certain amount of it because nothing is forever, nothing's static. Sure. But certainly changes did become more radical. People became less and less uh, content with inheriting and, and pursuing what was given them. Um, is that just an ungrateful strain or what? Well, partly, but I think also um, a lot of a lot of things shifted in the popular imagination, and a lot of things changed. I mean, 
My father always said that the worst thing that ever happened to the United States was World War II. And I, he made that pronouncement when I was a freshman in high school because I asked him, you know, what are the worst things happened in our time? I thought it was in the 60s or something. He said, World War II. I said, how come? He said, well, you've got to understand that and I, what, what I said to him was, Dad, we won that war. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. He said, son, you wouldn't war the way you win an earthquake. You survive. You survive. But the, the social and cultural damage that the war did to this country has never been repaired. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, first thing, you had a whole generation that spent four or five years without their fathers. And that had a very definite effect, even when they returned. A lot of the wives had gone out to work, which had not been the case before. And that too would have an effect. Um, the there was a certain amount of this in World War One, but on a much lesser scale, because far fewer of us were involved in World War One than in World War Two. I'm talking about purely about the United States. Yeah. Here in Austria, it's a whole other kettle of fish. But in America, uh, that's the way it was. Yeah. And the the other sad truth in all of this is that. Uh, a lot of what we see is the development of the hippie generation, the boomers, what we call the generation of 68 here in Europe, came about because of that. Um, there, there, was, there still are a couple of very, very funny comedians, the Smothers Brothers, uh, Tommy and Dickie Smothers. Uh, they were kind of left wing, to say the least, but they were very funny. And so we watched their weekly show religiously. Well, my dad, during this talk, pointed it out. He said, you remember the Smothers Brothers? I said, oh, sure. You remember they joke about each other, about their relationship with their mom. They never talked about their father. I said, yeah, that's true. He said, well, that's because Colonel Smothers died on the Bataan Death March. So, and then, of course, when they came home from the war, you had a whole generation of parents, the so-called greatest generation, as they say today. It always makes me laugh that my generation, after causing our parents endless problems, uh, redubbed them the greatest generation, as though that was some sort of makeup. Mm. But nevertheless, uh, he said, you know, having gone through World War II and through the Depression, they wanted, to, they wanted to make sure that their children had the best lives possible and to some degree spoiled them. Uh, and this too, for the senior members of my generation, not us junior folk, of course, but for the senior ones who had been without their fathers during that period, uh, suddenly this guy comes back and wants to reassert some authority. And maybe he did, but it's not so easy. Didn't necessarily play out well. Yeah. And of course, it also, the, the divorce rate skyrocketed. Yeah. So that was another problem. Well, then, um, you know, one of the, one of our countries, um, I mean, they like to call it the original sin. I wouldn't go that far by any stretch. But slavery and the racial issue have always hung over the country. Now, one has to be very careful here because everyone likes to get excited about this particular issue. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll say this much, and that is that if it weren't for slavery, terrible and horrible though it was, there would be no American blacks. Yeah, they'd be in Africa. They would be in Africa, uh, which, you know, I wouldn't, Consider what Africa is like today, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't find that a lot of fun. Uh, they like to argue that, well, it's because of the terrible things colonialism did to Africa, failing to remember that their ancestors were sold into slavery by completely independent African kinglets. And to the Muslims first. Uh, well, see, that was the trick. When they, uh, the Muslims, the um, uh, trading routes, the caravan routes from the west coast of Africa to the north, where the slaves were generally sold, uh, when that was cut off by the Tuaregs in the late 1400s, the little kings of the west coast of Africa had a problem. They had a lot of human product to sell and nobody to buy. 
But the gods of commerce smiled. <laughs> the white sails of the Europeans appeared. And now there was some place to offload the stuff and get paid. Hey, I feel like you're people. avoiding talking about yourself. I'm sorry? You're avoiding talking about yourself right now. Well, no, it's not a question of avoiding. You've got to bear in mind that the I racial know. issues sat over my youth as well. Sure, sure, sure. My parents were active in civil rights, and that too was a big part oh, okay. of my formation. Well, first, what did, regarding your parents, what did they do both in New York and then uh, in California? Well, they, they, uh, they, well, when they first met, they were actors. They met on a radio stage, uh, the Lux Theater of the Air. And my, my dad was a, uh, a poor French Canadian from New Bedford, Mass. Um, and mind you, although he came from a family which by our standards were uh, fairly elevated, uh, the status of the French Canadian in general in New England was very low. We were not well regarded by our Yankee neighbors or by the Irish. <laughs> Classic uh, Irish. The white n-words of north america was the phrase that was employed in those wonderful far-off days uh which wow. is well i mean this is the way it was you know i i i used the n-word on my own show and they uh in this context a woman got annoyed with me in the comments and said i didn't uh tune in to hear you say that well, you know, obviously that's the only word you heard out of the entire broadcast, man. I realized yeah. that as morons, we're not allowed. I'm sorry, I meant moderns. <laughs> Did I say morons? Well, all right, I shouldn't be redundant. But <laughs> as whatever we are, we're not supposed to uh, look into context. We're only supposed to have one word that gets us excited. Because, you know, when you've got a little brain, one word is all you can do at a time. And we moderns or morons or whatever we are. We're, we're not really supposed to think about more than one word at once, let alone bigger concepts. But it was that experience that made my father what he was. He was very, very much shaped. French was his first language, although he had a French education, was perfectly bilingual. Uh, and unlike myself, when he spoke French, if he felt like sounding like a Parisian, he could. Huh? I can't. How could you? How dare you? You know, and the problem is if I try to sound like a Parisian, it just sounds like I'm imitating them, which is, <laughs> you know, sounds like mockery. Uh, so I, I don't even try. Twice I've tried to give lectures in France, and I will never do it again because I sounded like a bumpkin in my own ears. You know, you, you may think the English are snobs when it comes to accents. Nothing on the French. And mind you, I love France. I love the French. I'm proud of it. But no way, Jose, will I ever give another public lecture in French in France. In ain't French. Ever, ain't ever happening again. To do it in English, though? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. mind doing it in English, but I, I'll never do it again. It was, And the funny thing is, Belloc had the same experience because he was, weirdly enough, in the same position. His French was a uh, Burgundian patois overlaid uh. with, with the military slang he picked up after a year in the army. <laughs> so when he tried to give a lecture in France, he had the same reaction. I've, I've read a letter he wrote about it that I know exactly how he felt. So this boy ain't never going to be doing that again. You and Belloc. Yeah, well, we, we have certain things in common. Some things not, but that we definitely had in common was being on the Anglo-French frontier. Yeah. yeah. But loving them both, but not really being either one. And that... <laughs> You're your own thing. What is it? it? Yeah, you don't know. Is there a French word or anything to describe uh, French Canadian Americans? Not really. We would call ourselves Franco American. Okay. But the problem with that in English is it sounds like the spaghetti sauce. <laughs> that is, wait, what spaghetti sauce? Franco American. Th that's spaghetti sauce? Yeah. <laughs> Never heard of that. I guess they don't have it anymore, but it was right up there with Chef Boyardee. Really? And so if I called myself when I was young, if I said I was Franco-American, they'd say, really? You got a can opener? <laughs> <laughs> so your so, sauce. Yeah. I mean, it just, 
it, uh, again, these are, you know, you want to hear what my influences. Well, these are they. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I just now also my, want to remind everyone that every ethnic group has has a slur used against them in the yeah. past. We were, we were also called frogs, which was by far the, the least offensive of the two. Now that makes me think of, there's like cartoons or animated uh, things where frogs speak French. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, have yeah. French accents. Oh, That's listen, kind of... you have to be one of us to catch all the anti-French stuff in American pop culture. And I'll tell you something, when Mr. Bush uh, Jr., was it, was really upset with the French because they wouldn't join his worldwide crusade for democracy. Uh, surrender monkeys, freedom fries. Oh my. I remember all that. That's interesting. I got some nasty comments about that because I wasn't in favor of the war. Mm -hmm. And uh, people say, oh, yeah, you French surrender monkeys. And my response would always be, God, I wish we'd been that way at, uh, during the American Revolution. I wish we you were, too. To, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> You'd be a loyal subject of the king. And uh, who knows? I'd probably still be in Quebec. Although, in truth, I probably wouldn't exist because my parents wouldn't have met. So, poof. Yep, neither would have mine. So. Yeah, so it's, you know. But my, uh, my grandmother... Uh, my, my grandmother, my uh, father's mother, my, they, 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 I can do this. My mother <laughs> was not French Canadian. It wasn't her fault. Uh, <laughs> but her father, her. no, her, her family were, were quite mixed. But uh, her father was, amongst other things, a, uh, uh, earlier on in his, in his life, he'd been a fairly noted writer. He wrote for the Commonweal and uh, uh, the old New York graphic, a bunch of other publications. And then he settled into academia and he would teach economics at Harvard, get into a fight with their administration, then move to Columbia, get into a fight with them and then move to Harvard, get into a fight with Harvard and then move to Columbia. Well, you get the idea. Uh, and he knew everybody. He was a member of the America First Committee. Uh, he knew Colonel Lindbergh. He, uh, he knew all sorts of people. Um, and as a result of that kind of background, uh, we knew a slew of uh, second tier and third tier celebrities when I was a boy in New York. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking of uh, a man called Paris Flamont whom I, I don't remember meeting, but my dad used to tell stories about him. But he, uh, uh, the, the one I remember most was a composer who you've never heard of, but he was famous in the day, named Elmo Russ, who uh, would be stuck babysitting my brother and me from time to time, which was not... <laughs> a composer not babysitting you. Well, you know, his, his idea of babysitting was, uh, you know, go play, boys. <laughs> <laughs> but... Anyway, so we, uh, we, we had a, a place in uh, Mount Kisco, New York, which I remember very fondly, 11 Dunster Road, Mount Kisco, my boyhood home, which for me was absolute paradise. I loved it. I mean, going to the city was great, but Mount Kisco and the Valley of the Hudson and the city, too, I, that was my home. It's a little Tolkien-esque being, having a sort of, uh, and a little Lewis, he had that too, where it was sort of, he had this ideal place he lived in the beginning of their, in the, uh, his life. And, you know, it was taken away from him and he just, and they both recalled their happy times. Just so. That was exactly, uh, exactly the case. I, uh, and of course that was where, at first, second hand, because I couldn't read back there. Um, I uh, fell in love with Washington Irving, you know, and the, the stories of the Dutch and so on. And on Sundays after mass, my father and my mother and my brother and I would pile into my dad's old Renault and we would uh, go driving through uh, Westchester and uh, Litchfield and Litchfield counties, Fairfield County in Connecticut, 
duchess that we'd we'd explore all these old colonial houses and cemeteries and churches and all that. My dad was a, a big amateur historian. And the other thing about my parents that I have to say, they were very much they were very much theatrical people. The uh, they were, Sorry. What's that? They were very theatrical people. Oh, theatrical. And by that, I mean they were presences. Uh, where after a show, other actors would sort of dwindle down to normal people. My parents were always larger than life. And uh, I suppose some of that rubbed off on my brother and me. I remember uh, really one, one time I uh, I came home from school, the uh, the nun had complained that I was always on, <laughs> and I asked my dad what that meant because I had no idea, and he said it means that sister is usually off, <laughs> which was really, I mean I, I I saw what he meant, you know she was used to everything being. But uh, but why should it be? Why does have everything have to be dull and silly and ridiculous? Why can't it be amusing and pleasant and enjoyable? That was the problem I faced from the time I was small. Was that that great question? Anyhow, to not to uh, belabor the point, my uh, my dad lost his money, and we moved out to California because, as he put it. He might be able to recoup our fortunes, and even if he couldn't, we wouldn't be uh, parading our poverty in front of our, our friends and relations. And years later, you know, I came to realize that he had done really the only thing he could do, because New York, even then, was not a place for second chances. Whereas California, it was booming. And it became very apparent to him that he wasn't going to be getting no job in the movies anytime soon. So he fell back on engineering, which he had a background in. And he got a job with a firm that was uh, had just gotten a deal with Walt Disney Productions. Uh, How old the, was uh, he at that point? Dad would have been about 40. So this was this was a big disruption for him, too. Yeah, and you've got to understand though that that was that was my father all over. He could take everything falling apart around him and laugh and say, "Well, we're not going to be doing this, I guess. We'll move on." Yeah, he was not one for regrets. Uh, and when when I asked him years later if he ever regretted giving up uh, the theater. He said, well, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, the greatest role I ever played was your uh, mother's father, your mother's husband and your father. Um, I said, that, that's always been the most important thing in my life. You three. And that, you see, uh, that's the big problem with a lot of parents today, fathers and mothers, is that their, parent, their children do not have the innate I mean, very deep realization that they are the most important things in their parents' lives. And I think that that is extremely key because that gives you a foundation. The whole world can turn against you. But even when they're dead, you have that behind you. That to them anyway, you are the most important thing. But today, unfortunately, as my uh, father used to put it, People today know how to get married, but they don't know how to be married. Mm -hmm. God knows they don't know how to be parents. Because you have to put the child ahead of you. The children are more important than you are. And, I, and this is something I really have to, have to make very, very clear. When you're born, and for the time you're conscious, until you get married, if you get married, you are the star of your own show. You're it. You're the end all and be all. But as time gets and goes on, and actually to a great degree, this becomes truer and truer even if you don't get married. You become less and less a star and more and more supporting cast. 
uh, I'm pretty sure you're a star. You don't know me around my nephews and nieces. Oh, yes, but... Uh, and for that matter... To the internet. Kids, well, see, even there. My real reason for being in this business, so whatever the business business is... <laughs> That's a good question. What is this business? I, I don't know. Neither do I. Whatever it is, is to encourage people like you. You understand? Yeah. And people like my audience to do the right thing, to be the people that God has designed them from all eternity to be, as individuals, I mean. I'm not even talking about forming some great mass movement to do something around them. I'm talking about. But we could. Well, and, and if necessary, yes, and please God, if it's the right thing, et cetera, et cetera. But before you can even get there. Yeah. Before you can even think about that. You've got to think about you as an individual. Who are you? What are you? Where are you going? What is it you want to be? What is it you're striving for? Most importantly of all, why did God put you here? And you see, the role of the parent is to try to help their children to the best of their abilities, and these vary, to find that out that question. That's a very, very important thing. My dad used to say to my brother and me, you know, I don't care what you do with your lives. As long as A, it's moral, B, you can earn a living at it, and C, it doesn't prevent you from saving your soul. Now, yeah. uh, other than that, he used to say he didn't care what we did. Now, when, he, when my brother and me were interested in anything, dad did everything he could to see that we got information about it whether it was beekeeping or weather statistics. Take <laughs> two, two examples from life. My, myself being the beekeeper and my brother being the weather, uh, the weather enthusiast. That's really interesting. You and bees, I can only imagine. They didn't last all that long, but it was interesting. <laughs> the, uh, to this day, I don't mind bees, but I have a phobia of wasps. Yeah. Because I eat them. Because what? Wasps eat bees. Oh, I did not know that. Why do you think they go after meat? When you put your meat down, to them, believe me, a chunk of your hamburger and a tasty little worker bee, it's all meat. Interesting. All yum yums to be brought back to the uh, wasp's nest. Okay. So the, uh, the thing is that uh, that, was, that was my father. And he, uh, more than any other single influence, I can honestly say, was his. I, I don't have a single enthusiastic, a uh, single intellectual enthusiasm that I didn't get from him. I mean, everything that I'm interested in, I can remember him having an interest in. And his interest, by the way, wasn't just about stuff that he liked, not at all. Uh, he would go through our school books every semester. And if something was wrong, he would tell us <laughs> why and how. And he didn't expect us to believe it because he said so. If he thought something was wrong, it didn't jibe, well, he would, uh, he would go ahead and, and look it up. So... I would say he was, uh, say, the biggest single uh, influence on me. Now, since we're, we're beginning to run short, I'll give you a quick... Uh, well, we could do a part two in the future, so... We, we could do a part two. I'll just say that uh, my mother, for her part, uh, she was... I would have to say she was not the most maternal of women. <laughs> uh, she was... Uh, and by that, I don't mean to say that she wasn't loving in her way, mm -hmm. but she had such a wit that could be so cutting. And I have to admit, both my brother and I inherited some of that, too. Now, my dad could be very cutting, too. But with him, it was always for a purpose. My mother, I tell you, I don't know how she managed, but... She could come up to absolute strangers and immediately she'd know their, their deepest weakness. She could yank it out and display it. And she would do so, though, in such a way that you couldn't say anything about it. 
<laughs> you couldn't because it was never said in such a way as to you couldn't get a handle on it. So, I mean, for instance, uh, you know, if, if, if well, I'll give you an example. Uh, I uh, recently I uh, put an iconium tour on the uh, to my father and her on a Facebook account. Well, a very old friend of mine with whom I co-wrote a script many, many years ago, uh, you know, commented on it. He said, I loved your father, but to be honest with you, I was always afraid of your mother. And he said, uh, when I told her we were co-writing a script, she said, why are you wasting your time on movies? You should use your talent where it belongs in the theater. Now, mind you, this is a kid who just graduated from USC film school. <laughs> and she knew it, you know, but man, did she shoot him down. Wow. Uh, but in such a way that he couldn't really say anything because it's not like she said, you're, you know, you're no talent bomb. What are you doing? No, no, no. Why are you wasting your talent on movies? You're great at this. And that was her, her great line. Well, tell me something you, you, you've just done. You know, you, you opened a can of soup, you went to the store, anything you like. We've done this, Charles. I know, uh, but it's, it's worth doing okay, again. Okay, fine. Um, I ate a sandwich. Oh, is that what they're calling it now? Interesting. We had other words for it in my day. No, I'll tell you, I just ate a sandwich. Of course you did, dear. Why are you getting so upset? Never gets you know, old. What's that? Never gets old. No, it never did. And it, 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 see, that was the thing. It was cutting, but amusing. It's, yeah. hard to, it's hard to explain. At any rate, they were very well matched. They were terribly fond of one another. Mm -hmm. I used to say that my dad was the only man born that could handle my mother. And I mention this because the two biggest formative persons in my life with strong personalities. Neither of them were weak. Uh, I've seen both of them in different different situations with people attempting to intimidate them. And boy, was that a mistake. <laughs> they were messing with the wrong people. I mean, I, I, I have seen my mother chew out a man twice her size practically she was short shorter than my father and he was shorter than me <laughs> but i'll tell you what you did not i mean she could be playful like a kitten with a ball of strength but if you really annoyed that woman she would rip you in two and serve you your heart for breakfast and mind you she was never angry at me like that oh okay but i've i've you've seen it well i mean i'll give you an example uh, when we were uh, when we were living uh, in a New Yorker apartment in the city, I was rolling a ball on the stairs or something, and the uh, super came out. To, I mean, it was outside our apartment, which I shouldn't have been, but I was rolling the ball up and down and making noise. And the super comes out and yelled at me. Well, he was a big guy. I was scared. Well, suddenly, I hear the, the, the door to our apartment fly open. <laughs> Mother comes down, says, who in God's name do you think you are? Well, you're your kid. I don't care what he did. You never yell at a child like that. What are you, some worthless coward? <laughs> wow. And, oh, man, she read him the riot act. Yeah. But he yelled at me. You know, if he had been smart, he would have told me to stop. And if I hadn't, he'd have knocked on the door and told my mother. And believe me, she would have <laughs> she would have pulled me right up because she <laughs> she was well, part of the annoyance was that she didn't know where I had gone, so she was gotcha. a little put out. But uh, so I, I I mention this because both of them they gave me a horror of the bully of the man in charge who's full of garbage, mm -hmm. the ignoramus whose only claim to fame. Is that he's got power. I have hated that my entire life. And in our next installment, we'll <laughs> find out my very first encounter with it 
which oddly enough was my first encounter with the rot in the church. Okay. Well, we'll be very excited to uh, hear about that. Um, Charles will be on, or we'll check out Charles at Tumblr House on YouTube and uh, his books at Tumblr House. Uh, I will link that in the description. Um, but, you know, you have a weekly podcast. So everyone who's interested in anything Charles writes or, uh, or, um, or wants to hear him more, uh, check that out. If, well, if you're really that keen on hearing me more, I mean, I, I, I shouldn't question your taste, but I, I have my doubts. We'll just leave it at that. Well, <laughs> so, seriously, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's always, uh, you know, these are difficult times. These are dark times, but they're also light and wonderful. Remember, as long as you're alive, there's hope. Nothing is too terrible, but it can't be overcome somehow or else you'll die yeah all right end of story so they kill you Psst. don't worry it, about it it was gonna happen anyways well, um, you're not gonna escape it and believe me at 61 what have i got left to look forward to 30 years tops on a good you got day. so much energy i do now but trust me it can go down by the board very quickly. And did I mention my knees are bothering me? Uh-huh. No, it's true. And the pain I've got in my shoulder right here. And and oh, that's right. The reason why we old people talking about our, our physical annoyances is boring to young people is because it is. Because <laughs> it is <laughs> Well. <laughs> uh, it just reminds us what we have to look forward to. And, you know. Oh. Woohoo. Um, I'll tell you what. <laughs> anyway, stay but, strong, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So if you like what we're doing here at Plotlines, please like, share, and subscribe, and have a wonderful day. Bye.